This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, this is Dave Kellett, cartoonist behind Sheldon and Drive, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Welcome to episode 129 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of August 28th. I'm back. My name is Matt Baum, and you can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein when I'm not returning from the wilds of Minnesota to find my life mate in the arms of another man who probably admittedly does a better job than me. I'm writing the comic speculator blog for WordPoint.com. The fans sure seem to like him, and I'm Joe for that one dick on Twitter, man. Hey, we had a nice conversation with that guy. Thank you, and I hope you got the money I said. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not cuddling up to anyone with a copy of Camelot 3000, the second Matt leaves town like some kind of comic-fueled nymphomaniac. Gross. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. In this week's episode, you hear our reviews of Aquaman 23 and Justice League 23. After that, we'll review 10 of this week's comics faster than DC can redesign a beloved character during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Ulysses Claw will teach us about the fabled brown note and the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, we'll step into the comic studio when Joe Patrick interviews cartoonist Dave Kellett, the creator of the Sheldon and Drive webcomics. But before we get to all the coalition building, let's take a moment to evacuate the last of the Syrian THN affiliates. There's going to be some going down there this weekend. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. That's oddly topical. I thought you'd make some sort of fantasy football reference. Uh, don't worry. There's one later on. <laughs> Next spring, writer and native Canadian Jeff Lemire, Lemire, Lemire? I'm going to go Lemire. Okay. We'll take over writing duties of Justice League of America just in time for the team to uproot and move to the great white north. I'm using my knowledge of Canadian hockey player names to pronounce his name, so I feel good about it. That's great. You look a little bit like a Canadian today. Yeah? You look like a lumberjack. I was in Minnesota for 10 days. (laughs) It'll do it, huh? It'll do it to you, eh? That's racist. Following the events of Trinity War and Forever Evil, the title will be rebranded Justice League Canada, though it has not been revealed whether or not the title will keep the same numbering as Justice League of America or restart with a new number one. I bet the latter. Yeah, me too. Lemire was quick to dismiss comparisons to Marvel's Alpha Flight, saying, quote, It's not really like Alpha Flight, as we're not creating a bunch of very Canadian characters. Like, those characters are all almost cliched Canadian archetypes. Hey. And they are. Easy. They are. (laughs) Come on, Sasquatch. I love Sam (laughs) Squanch. This is still very much set in the regular Justice League universe, and the team will still have some of the bigger-named superheroes, but they will actually be located in Canada now, and there will be a couple of new members who are Canadian. I will have you know that Sasquatch has been spotted in Oregon, Washington, and California more than Canada. That's great, buddy. Up your furry butt. (laughs) Lemire revealed that one of the new characters will be Adam Strange, who will be making his new 52 debut reimagined as a filthy Canuck. What? And that just three members of the team's current roster will make the move, joining several, quote, fairly major DC heroes. (laughs) British artist Mike McCone will serve as the title's artist. Matt, we're going to talk about Trinity War and Forever Evil a little later, but I have to admit... I'm kind of intrigued by this idea. What do you think? I think it's super ballsy for DC to give this book to Jeff Lemire. I like Jeff Lemire. Yeah. 
I'm liking what he's got going on in uh, Justice League Dark, actually, which is a book I didn't care about at all. Yeah. And I just picked it up when he started writing it. It's pretty damn good. I really liked the Trinity War chapters that he wrote. I um, haven't read those, I admit. But, like, the, he did a good job. I, I think that... I think it's weird they're relocating to Canada, but it's going to be something where they get kicked out of the United States, well, obviously. Well, they, they said... I looked for the quote. I couldn't find it. I know I read a quote that said something to the effect of, at the end of Forever Evil, there may not be a United States. <laughs> and that's why... Whoa. The Justice League of America is moving. Well, and that's really ballsy if that's what happens. Yeah, I don't I know. love Adam Strange as a character, yeah. and I'm fine with them saying... His well, nationality means literally has, nothing. Yeah, but... He the, could be anything. I'm just saying let's be careful what we redesign. Sure. You know, I, he still needs to... As long as he's a blonde-haired white boy, you're okay with it. He still needs okay to be John it. Carter is what he needs to be. He sure. needs to be Adam Strange of Ran, you know, or whatever, where he gets teleported there every once in a while, and he's in love with a girl there, and he's space fighter badass, you know? Right. And I do love the idea that Lemire is shaking up the JLA, which I'm not super fond of as a group. You know, uh, I like I like the conceit of the team that they were brought together to take down the Justice League. Right. But, like, I don't need Catwoman. I, I don't need... I don't need this Hawkman. Yeah. So if Lemire is going to, you know, shake it up, make it more like an actual... Yeah. You know, a cohesive team. And as we've seen in Trinity War... Uh, you know, the JLA is bucking against the government control. Right. So maybe this is them becoming a more cohesive unit with characters that actually want to be there. And if that makes the... That, I think that would make the book make a little more sense. Yeah. And personally. I think he's great with character. Yeah. Definitely. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, I think this is a good move. I like that they're taking a younger guy and giving him something this big. I hope it works. Me too. Actor Vin Diesel has been teasing fans for weeks about his talks with Marvel over his mysterious involvement in their Phase 2 films. Speculation has placed Diesel in several roles, including both The Vision and Ultron. But now the truth has been confirmed. Diesel has been offered the role of Groot in the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy film. The actor is no stranger to voice work. Diesel received a lot of praise for his performance as a title character in The Iron Giant. I cried my eyes out. But it looks as though he may perform motion capture work for Groot as well. According to the Riddick star, which looks terrible, Marvel initially wanted him for a brand new film. <laughs> I think it looks kind of to, fun. Of course you do. To hey, listen. But it looks as though he may perform motion capture work for Groot as well. According to the Riddick star, Marvel initially wanted him for a brand new film to kick off Phase 3, but the fans demanded something more immediate. Huh? So, Joe Patrick, do you think Diesel is a good fit for Groot? And what Phase 3 film do you think Marvel had in mind for him? Yeah, I don't know. I don't recall demanding he do something right away. <laughs> like, Listen. Was, were there demonstrators? <laughs> I like Vin Diesel. Like, bull Get him in a movie now! <laughs> Come on. Phase three, that's not for five years. God, I don't think the fans have any yeah. control of this. I, look, I like Vin Diesel, and I would have been fine with him as the voice of Ultron. He can do that kind of weird, scary, robot voice. Speaking of the voice of Ultron and someone who I think is going to be way better. Yes. Uh, breaking the office, news. The Office and Boston Legal star James Spader this week cast as the voice of Ultron in Joss Whedon's Avengers Age of Ultron. I like that way more that's exciting i love james spader and i think he'll do great as ultron uh as far as diesel goes he could just do the iron giant voice and it would be Groot. i don't want that i don't want that but i mean he's he'd be good at that sort of thing let me let me show you something real quick this is why i'm excited for james spader 
I want you to picture Ultron saying this. All life is sex. And all sex is competition. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> Creepy Robert California is your ultra. I think my boner went into my body. It went backwards into my body. I like it way more. As for a phase three film, what, what do you I, think? I honestly have no idea. Yeah. Like, I, I, he could really be just about anybody. My guess is when they were casting, um, when they were trying to cast Drax, I'm sure his name got thrown around. Yeah. And. You know, I was thinking that when it was rumored that the Vision might show up, I thought that he might be able to do a, f- a good Vision. I hate that. Why do you hate that? Just make the Vision completely CG and get somebody's cool voice. No, but the Vision is just, a, he just looks like a guy painted I, red. I don't want it to be Vin Diesel. Why He's not? Absolutely not my Vision. Oh my God. Maybe uh, I'm blaming him for nine Fast and the Furious movies. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> that is not my Vision. But if all he has to do is act robotic, I think he can handle it. Oh God. We don't need him to act <laughs> like a tough it. guy. I hate it. I mean, All I, I know about Phase 3 is that maybe there will be a Black Panther movie yeah, and probably I, I just don't even know where they're going. Uh, Doctor Strange. So. so he better not be Doctor Strange. Oh. oh God! I can tell you, I would not want Vin Diesel. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I think he'll do fine as Groot. We talked about it last night. Yeah, uh, last week gonna, while you were he's gone, he's going to be fully CG'd. Yeah. I mean, so it really doesn't matter. And he can do the weird gravelly voice. He can do the Iron Giant voice for Groot perfectly. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm Groot or whatever. Yeah. You know. Uh, we talked about it last week, uh, and it was confirmed this week. That Bradley Cooper is going to be Rocket Raccoon. I'm fine with it, which I don't love. I'm fine with it, and I like. I was listening to that episode. I never pictured Rocket with a British accent. I always have, never always, did. always. I always pictured him like uh, Ron Perlman's voice is what I hear uh, constantly. It's like mm. you're going to fight around with that all day, Stark, or we got to go out there and kick some butts. You know, that's, that's <laughs> kind of fun. I've always pictured Ron Perlman's voice. <laughs> I don't that know. was the worst Ron Perlman impersonation. Yeah, it really ever. was. Yeah, I just I in my head in my <laughs> in my head, Rocket Raccoon sounds kind of like the Geico Gecko. No way. Which I know is not a British accent. It's the Australian. Geico Gecko is gay. Everybody knows that. Rocket Raccoon might be gay. No, he's all man, baby. Are you saying gay dudes can't be men? I'm saying they're men, but he had a girlfriend in his miniseries. Let me tell you a little bit about how the world works. He likes ladies. <laughs> Which is gross. That'd be beastly. This is the end of this conversation. <laughs> We're treading into Howard the Duck territory here. <laughs> Let's just roll back. Finally, DC Comics released a series of concept images by Kenneth Roquefort showcasing a new character with a familiar name. Get ready for a slim, sleek, sexy new Lobo making his debut in the pages of this month's Justice League 23.2 by Marguerite Bennett and Ben Oliver. According to DC, everything you know is wrong when it comes to the main man. He's an imposter. Now the real Lobo is back for revenge against the bastard that built a life on his rep. Online reaction to the design and the retcon of Lobo's identity was swift and fierce, prompting Marguerite Bennett to respond. Bennett posted on her Tumblr blog saying, quote, Dear Internet, which has called me some very unendearing names today. I was not in charge of the Lobo redesign. Ben Oliver was not in charge of the Lobo redesign. I wrote my script, and after it was completed, I was shown what the new character would look like. For the record, the images you've seen, Ken Roquefort's design and Aaron Cooter's cover, are not what Lobo actually looks like in the book. I respectfully disagree with the decision to release that image. When you go to get your comics on Wednesday, September 11th, before you buy it, if you buy it, pick up Lobo and read the first four pages. You can hate me by page two. 
But if I do not have your attention by page four, you don't have to read something of mine ever again. Bennett later deleted the post, but as we all know, the internet is forever. Matt Baum, what do you make of all of this? I think the story is kind of interesting. Yeah. I think it's a creative way to introduce something about Lobo, who's a character I really don't care about. Yeah, I think think the idea that Lobo that we know just like stole his identity. That's kind of fun. It's really a, a neat twist. Now, I will say I don't like the... I don't like, I think it's, okay, I think it's a cool picture of a cool looking character. But it doesn't make me think, That's not that Lobo. guy's scary and right. and vicious. And maybe it's just the fact that we're used to the Simon Bisley gigantic hulking Lobo. Yeah. I don't know. And like I said, Kenneth Roquefort did a bang up job designing generic space character. Don't make it Lobo. Yeah. You know, I, well, I, I, like you just said, we have preconceived notions of what Lobo right. is. And that's, the, in fact, the whole point of this story is that Lobo is not what we thought. Right. Which is interesting. Now, and, what I'm saying, I'm going to go further with it and say the problem lies here that, again, this was really strangely handled by DCPR. Yeah. Why? And it made it look like one hand didn't know what the other one was doing. And perhaps Marguerite, what, I'm sorry, Marguerite Bennett, mm-hmm. perhaps, who is adorable, by the way, look her up. She. Weird. It made it look like she did not know what was going on with the book or perhaps the book had changed without her being updated on the script or something it made it look it made her look dumb no i well i think what she's saying is that she knew what was going to happen she knew that there would be a new character that is the quote-unquote real lobo right and she wrote that story without knowing what his final design would be. It just they did a really weird job and handling this dc should not have released the promo art or they should have been more clear in saying, this is concept art only. Right. This is not the final design. And whether she took down the post or they asked her to take down the post, that's a bad move. Because then it looks, then we all go, conspiracy. Right. You know? I mean, and I think actually the post, it's gutsy for her to say. I'd like a round of applause for remaining completely level-headed about this. Good work. Thank good you. work. I'm proud of you. <laughs> what I'm yeah. saying is I think they handled this very strangely. I agree. I agree. And with the with the pattern of stuff that we have been yelling about and how creators have been treated, and how editorial has been kind of walking on some people's scripts. This looks bad. I I don't think it's as bad as it is. Yeah, it's just an awkward... Yes. It's an awkward moment. I think they made it look worse than it actually is. And I'm actually... I was actually more intrigued to read the story when I read her post, and I don't think she should have taken it down. No, I don't either. Uh, I mean, it's certainly very gutsy, because if it's terrible, I will take her advice and never read anything else she writes. I suppose. But... Props to DC for giving more women jobs writing, though. Yeah, I think that's great. She is a, she is a student of Scott Snyder's, a yep. former student, and I'm glad that she's getting work. She's 25, she's cute, and she loves German death metal and cheeseburgers. Man, I love this girl. Wow. <laughs> well, if nothing else, I'm interested in reading the Lobo one-shot when before I had zero interest in reading the Lobo one-shot. That's fair. So if this, if this little weird PR... Yeah, maybe Makeup has done nothing else. Maybe this was a stunt. (laughs) It's gotten me interested in the book, so good job. And that is your big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where Kenneth Rockefeller was nice enough to redesign the THN mascot as a sleek, two-headed, self-built rap star that gets all the chicks and slays villains on the mic. Booyah. 
Every Friday, the newly redesigned Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our Facebook page and our Twitter, and then we read your responses and play your voice messages on the THN Answer of the Week podcast, which hits every Wednesday. Of course, you can respond Give or take. on Facebook and the Twitter, too. If you are going to do it on the Twitter, don't forget, hashtag T-H-N-A-O-W. That stands for THN Answer of Week. Answer of Week. <laughs> Joe, what did we ask these nerds this week? This week's question was, what are your favorite and least favorite comic book retcons? This is going to get ugly. Now, a retcon, for those not in the in the know that aren't familiar with the jargon, retcon is short for retroactive continuity. The alteration of previously established facts in the continuity of a comic. For example, I posted this example on Facebook. Hal Jordan, we all know, went crazy in the 90s. Killed a bunch of Green Lanterns, became Parallax, and then died. Oh, but wait. Ten years later, here comes Jeff Johns to say everything we knew is wrong. Yep. Parallax is actually a cosmic space bug that farted up into Hal Jordan's butt and made him go crazy. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) And once Hal became free of Parallax, he was back to normal and the hero we enjoy today. Baboosh. Retcon. Retcon. Uh, So... We love it when you call us with your answer to the question of the week on Skype. Our Skype handle is Nerd, or at our Ziggurat direct line 402-819-4894. You can also respond at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Nerd. People are a little slow with the responses this week. Yep. I think it's because they might not be 100% sure what we mean. Start calling, suckers. There you go. This is the record. The future's never gonna be the same. This is the record. It's review time on THN, where Joe and I debate whether or not to launch cruise missiles at two of this week's new comics. Joe Patrick, what comic did you set your sights on? My review for this week is of Justice League number 23. From DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, with pencils by Ivan Rice, and inks by Joe Prado, Eau Claire Albert, or Eau Claire Albert, Albert. and Eber Ferreira. I am Eau Claire Albert. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Sorry, Frenchies. Trinity War, Chapter 6! Trinity War concludes, but that doesn't mean all ends well for our heroes. The secret behind Pandora's box is revealed, and it means the end. Trinity War ends, and everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it means the end of the Justice Leagues. I don't know what's been going on with me lately, but I've been feeling pretty zen about the whole New 52 situation. Really? Uh, you know, I, I mean, yeah, DC keeps making boneheaded moves, and a lot of their books are miles away from what I want to read, but I've been letting myself enjoy a lot of their recent offerings. Trinity War included. I agree that I think it's time for us to understand that this is not going away. Sure. And no, I've, I've understood that since the beginning. Right. It's just, like, look, I'm not reading that Teen Titans book. No, it's I'm terrible. not. No. no I interest. don't want to read the current Superman as I don't want to read Red Hood and the Outlaws. It's no. It's stupid. Uh, but Superman Batman is great. It is good. Superman Unshankled is great. It's good. And like Unchangled. Unchangled. <laughs> And so more and more, DC's putting out books that I'm actually enjoying, and I'm glad to be able to enjoy DC again. Right on. Johns and Rice deliver a pretty slam-bang conclusion to the story, which came and went very quickly. It just, it, you know, six parts over three books. It was in and out. The true nature of Pandora's box is discovered. 
and the real villains behind the secret society are revealed. Unfortunately, DC chose to reveal that the crime syndicate of Earth-3 are the true villains behind the Trinity War and the upcoming Forever Evil event. What? Yet they just came out and said, hey, guess what? It's the crime syndicate. Blurp. You gotta be kidding. Okay, I admit, I didn't read this. I'm, not, I'm way behind. Okay. So you're on your this own. This was here. in the news. Okay. This wasn't just in... I'm not talking about in this comic. Well, I was in Battle Lake, Minnesota. I'm saying in, <laughs> in the comic news, Jeff John said, the crime syndicate are the real villains. I'm out. Just shebang? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and... Yeah, so it's a shame because I can't help but think that not knowing that in advance would have heightened my enjoyment. And I'll get to that moment okay, in a minute. Okay, I see you working here. Yeah. All right. Uh, still, though, Johns and Rice finally bring us the clash of the three Justice Leagues first teased on Free Comic Book Day over a year ago. Johns is able to juggle dozens of characters fairly well and gives almost everyone a moment to shine. The art by Ivan Rice is stellar throughout. But I could definitely tell when another inker took over. I mean, there are three of them. And there are some pages that aren't quite as strong as others, which is unfortunate, but it's not a deal breaker. The climactic moment when Pandora's box is finally opened. Sorry. Stop it. (laughs) And the double page reveal of the crime syndicate are especially stunning, which is why I wish I did not know it it was coming. Okay. Because when the thin man, the guy in the purple suit that's been, you know, organizing things on our earth, finally reveals who he is, and I won't say who, and opens the gateway that's a part of Pandora's box and outsteps the crime syndicate, if I had not seen that coming, I would have done a backflip. Really? Yes, I would have just been overjoyed. Because it's such a neat moment and it's so well drawn. Overall, though, I really enjoyed the storyline. This issue in particular is a lot of fun. It's full of big moments, and it actually got me excited to read Forever Evil, despite the fact that I've been dreading Villains Month, just dreading it. I forgot to jot this thought down, but I also wanted to mention that John does a good job hearkening back to an old Silver Age concept that if you once you read the issue and you find out who the outsider is, Google it. <laughs> Google DC The Outsider Silver Age for an extra little special Easter egg fun treat. It's not perfect. It's a bit busy. Uh, and it doesn't actually wrap up much of anything. But I see now that Trinity War was always supposed to serve as a springboard to something else, and it does its job well. I really had fun with it. I'm giving it a buy it. As I said, not caught up, but the lone buy it for this one. Sorry, buddy. If I have to hear one more time about how you were in Minnesota. I was in Minnesota. <laughs> Whatever. Comicless Minnesota. <laughs> Matt, what did you review this week? I read Aquaman 23 from DC. This one is also written by Jeff Johns with art by Paul Pelletier. Another Frenchman. Or Canadian Frenchman. Here's your solicit. The crit- and pay attention to this one because I'm going to talk about it. The critically acclaimed adventures of Aquaman continue. Death of a king! comes to a shocking conclusion as Aquaman is forced to fight alongside Mira's husband, Nereus, to defend Atlantis from the dead king, the first king of Atlantis and rightful ruler of the Seven Seas. That's one sentence, by the way. But what does the scavenger and his army have to do with this attack, and what dark secret will send Aquaman off on a quest to uncover the truth behind himself and Atlantis? Now, like it says... This is part five of death of the death of a king storyline, which saw the scavenger invading Atlantis, the dead king returning from the kingdom of Zebel, which lies hidden beneath the Bermuda Triangle, and where we learn Mira comes from. 
who was supposed to marry Nereus, the ruler of Zebul, after she assassinated Arthur. I should mention, the Dead King has joined forces with Nereus here, and they're also coming to attack Atlantis. And, if that's not enough, the surly captain of the Atlantean Guard, Merc, and the sister of Orm, Tula, along with the mysterious Swat, who can't breathe underwater, and I'm betting he's secretly human, are about to attack Belrev Prison in an attempt to free the former king, Arthur's brother, the formerly mentioned Orm, who is being held for war crimes after he recently launched an attack on the U.S. A.K.A. Ocean Master. So, you got all that? <laughs> that, dude's not, that dude's not human. That's what's going on here. To say there's a lot going on is an understatement. Like most John stories, this one has plots within plots, and there's a lot of good stuff going on. I like the way John's is writing Arthur. I like the way that Atlantis doesn't completely trust him as king. That is compelling. At the same time, Merck's character seems to be a little ham-fisted and plot-driven to me. I get that he doesn't agree with Aquaman's tactics as a king, but I'm not sold on why he thinks bring Ocean Master or Orm violently won't just bring hell down on Atlantis again. <laughs> I think the point is that he doesn't care. I understand he doesn't care, but they got their butts kicked. So what's the plan? <laughs> you know, I mean, really. Did they get their butts kicked? They got their butts kicked, yes. Let me be clear. There's three really good stories going on here, but when they all occur at the same time, it's hard to become personally invested in any of them, especially in a 22-page read. And the end here that was billed as a shocking conclusion to the Death of a King story, it is shocking, but it is not an ending. I'm not going to spoil it, but I got to the last page and went, oh, crap, this looks bad. And then I turned it and went, what? <laughs> like, Wait a minute. There is no end here. And I'm not sure that it's necessarily John's fault. As we've been discussing on the show, next week is Villains Month at DC. And instead of getting Aquaman 24, we are treated to Aquaman 23.1, Black Manta, and... 23.2, Ocean Master. Two completely standalone stories that aren't even by this creative team. Like I said, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but this was not a conclusion to a very big story that's been building for a while and getting more and more confusing as it builds. And now I have to wait more than a month to see what actually happened. I read seven issues of Aquaman while on this recent trip to get caught up. You mean when you went to Minnesota? When I went to Minnesota. So I could review this comic, and I really liked it. But the way John's left me hanging and the way DC expects me to shell out twice as much cash next month to read two stories that have nothing to do with the overcomplicated story that's already going on just took the wind out of me. I don't know how to do this. Because I like the story. I love Paul Pelletier's art. He's doing a great job. I love that they've developed Aquaman and the Atlantean army. I can't give this a buy it because it didn't end. I can only give it a skim it. And now I, I'm, I realize I'm not blaming the book proper. I will say it's too busy. For 22 pages, it's a little too busy. Johns could have told one of these stories and I would be perfectly happy with it. Telling three is too much. That's the other reason I'm giving it a skim it. Okay, I disagree. Okay. Because there, there are things in comics called subplots. We used to have them all the time. I get it. If you read Chris Claremont's X-Men, you might have to wait 10 years before you find out the answer to something he introduced. Sure. And so I was fine with other things happening that aren't necessarily germane to the, to the main story. I was fine with it, too. And it's, I think it's very clear that whatever's going on with Merck and Tula, who, and, who by the way, 
was Aqua Girl, pre-crisis Aqua Girl. Oh, really? She died in the crisis. I think that's awesome. Oh. Um, and 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 Orm is gonna pick up in in one of the villains month tie-ins. I don't think it does. It's about Ocean Master. I know, but I think it's like a prequel. I think we're seeing like where he came from. I will say that this issue felt a little cramped. Oh God, yeah. But I don't think it's necessarily a result of Villains Month. I think it's a result of the fill-in that they had to have that fill-in a couple months back by John Ostrander. Right. And I don't think they were expecting it. No. And and that's my problem. This felt crushed. This felt absolutely crushed. And this epic, I'm saying, let's spread it out. Let's keep it going. And when you crush it into one issue like this, and now I have to wait a month to even see what happened. Because that ending, were you happy with that ending? Honestly? Yes, I was. I was like, oh, twist. See, that didn't strike me as a twist. That struck me as, oh, crap. Now we got to wait two months. How about we do this? And then we'll come back to it. <laughs> you know, like, oh, come on. But, like, this is how serialized comic stories go sometimes. I like, get it. I'm fine with one storyline leading into the next storyline. As am I. And I, I think it ended on a cliffhanger. That's not the same as it not ending. See, I don't get cliffhanger from this. I agree that it was too busy. And it's a shame that they had to have a fill-in and that Johns couldn't have yeah. a six-part story instead of a five-part story. Right. Because it needed that sixth part. It absolutely did. But I loved the ending and maybe, i thought it was a great twist maybe i even feel better about the ending if it does have that sixth part and we can flesh out things a little more sure as opposed to then this happens and this happens and this happens and then what you know <laughs> i thought it was a great ending a fun twist and i'm confident that john's is not going to forget the ocean master thing and that it's just fuel it's all fuel for future stories i gotcha and i wasn't sad that not every moment wrapped up with a bow I thought it was a fun ride. I thought it had great art. Yes, you're right. And I'm giving it a buy. Okay. So that is a lone buy it for Justice League 23 and one skim it and one buy it for Aquaman 23. Of course, we want to know what you Trinities and Tridents thought of these comics. So be sure to drown us with your opinions in the comments section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. The THN Fantasy Football Draft was this weekend, and as usual, those Kickers Incorporated holes were drunk as skunks and dropping fronts. So, join us for the fastest draft ever when we log into the draft room through our drunk co-owner, Machine Man's interface, Dick in his pants, for a crushing first-round Peyton Manning pick that'll leave Super Pro wondering why the hell we didn't pick Adrian Peterson, all while we review 10 new comics during this week's ludicrous... Speed round! Looting for speed! Go! Station to station, one shot from Dark Horse. This is another Dark Horse special collecting a story originally serialized in Dark Horse Presents. This time, Karina Betko and Gabriel Hardman bring us a short story about a team of scientists that inadvertently unleash an invasion from a bunch of different parallel dimensions. Whoops. Yeah. The creators leave things open for more, but even if this was a one-off story, it was well told with a satisfying conclusion and great art. It had kind of an invasion of the Body Snatchers ending where it's like, is this the end? (laughs) Question mark? Oh, nice. Buy it. Catwoman number 23 from DC. Writer Anna Senti has Catwoman and a character named Tinderbox that looks like Flame Princess from Adventure Time running around the underground city of Charnel Town, run by her dad, 
King Dr. Phosphorus. What? I'm not making this up. Charneltown has been under siege by a group called the Warhogs. And all this is happening under Gotham City. And wow, is it dumb. There's even a spanking scene that you have got to see to believe. This could not be further from the Catwoman I would like to read. But unfortunately, this issue is going to be hard to find anyway because it's the first appearance of the Joker's daughter. That's not a spoiler. The solicit says, and the Joker's daughter shows up. And they're doing that because Catwoman sales are in the toilet because it's so damn bad. Leave it! Henry and Glenn forever and ever. Number one from Microcosm Publishing. The supremely bizarre comic about the true love story of Henry Rollins and Glenn Danzig returns. (laughs) Henry and Glenn was a mini-comic created by the art fraternity Igloo Tornado that eventually grew into a series of full-blown comics. It's weird. It's hilarious. It's full of metal references that I don't really understand. And it features hollow notes as satanic next-door neighbors. God, I should have read this. It's weird and fun, and I love it. Buy it. Grim Fairy Tales presents No Tomorrow, number one from Xenoscope. I guess I don't understand the GFT universe at all. I thought it had something to do with Grim Fairy Tales. Here, the busty, scantily-clad goddess of death has gone rogue, whatever that means, and is whistling Mozart and causing earthquakes. The main character is a guy who makes a huge leap in logic to figure out that the new sexy redhead at his company is death in disguise. But it's too late! As with all Xenoscope comics, this has a very pretty cover and not much story. Leave it. Arcane Secrets, number one from Amigo. This is Amigo's first foray into all-ages comics, and it's more or less a success. This is billed as Cthulhu for Kids and was created by Spanish artist... Angel Svoboda, which I'm sure is not how you pronounce it. Occultists have children too, sir. All right. Uh, The problem is that it's translated to English from the original Spanish, and the transition isn't perfect. Like they just ran it through like Google Translate (laughs) or something. (laughs) I mean, it's 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 okay most of the time, and then it's painfully obvious that it's not first language English, right? Which makes a lot of the gags kind of fall flat, which is too bad. But it's still pretty fun. It's got great art. It's chock full of Lovecraftian references. It's not really my thing, but you might feel differently. I'm giving it a skim it. Envy, one shot from Azern. Azern has been around for a few years now. I admit this is the first thing I've read from them, and I didn't love it. I'm not going to bag on the art, but it definitely had an amateur feel. I'm glad artists of all talent levels can get comics published, and there were some panels that showed real promise. The story was actually well-written and had some real humanity, but kind of fell flat towards the end. The horror element was almost an afterthought that the suspense just didn't add up to, and I really didn't understand the very last page at all. Leave it. Now, this is an all-age take on a horror concept that I can get behind. Art Balthazar and Franco bring the expert all-ages skill that they honed on Tiny Titans and Superman Family Adventures to Mike Mignola's Hellboy Universe. It's hilarious. The art is wonderful, and it was a joy to read. Buy it. Overtake it. Number one from Aspen. This is 22 pages of the cutest generic white couple ever moving from Chicago to small-town Minnesota and three pages of action. And that all adds up to real f***ing boring. The writer really wanted to drive home the idea that these two love each other with dialogue too schlocky for a lifetime movie. And it took way too long to get to the alien abduction. I don't plan on reading more, and I kind of wish they would have just blown one of the characters up. I hated him so much. Leave it. He's four for four, folks. (laughs) Bad mood this week. 
Secret, number three from Image, It's About Damn Time. Should have been the title of this one. <laughs> I never thought I'd live to see another issue of this series. At first, I was all set to make a scathing comment about the inexcusable weight between issues and the series not being worth it, but then... I reread the first two issues, followed by number three, all in one sitting, and now I'm completely in love with it. It's really good. Jonathan Hickman is weaving together one hell of a mystery here, and the art by Ryan Bodenheim is gorgeous. If you guys are listening, I'm begging you not to make us wait another year and a half for the rest of this story. Huge buy it. Captain America, number 10 from Marvel. Let's see if he turns it around. This is the conclusion to the age of Zola, and it's huge. Big art, big story, and a great big death, although I totally saw it coming. It took a little while to get here, but the payoff was totally worth it. I will say Cap better be pretty emotionally crippled in his other titles, because writer Rick Remender wrecked him. (laughs) I'm giving it a bite. That is your ludicrous speed round, and... Gradoom is the sound of the whole damn Dimension Z exploding as seen in this week's Captain America number 10. Spoiler alert, Cap wins. Or does he? <laughs> yeah, or does he? <laughs> now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where Ulysses Claw, the murderous master of sound himself, proves to us that there truly is a brown note as he drops some bass so powerful, our brains tune to a lower frequency where we can hear the secrets of next week's comics. That's some crazy science. Matt, clean up your mess and tell these nerds what you'll be reading next week. Next week, I'm excited for The Star Wars, number one from Dark Horse, written by J.W. Rinsler with art by Mike Mayhew. Here's your solicit. Before Star Wars, there was The Star Wars. <laughs> This is the authorized adaptation of George Lucas's rough draft screenplay of what would eventually become a motion picture that would change the world. Anakin Starkiller is the hero. Luke Skywalker is a wizened Jedi general. Han Solo is a big green alien. And the Sith? Well, the Sith are still bad guys. High adventure and daring do from longer ago in a galaxy even further away. It's Elseworld Star Wars. It's what George Lucas originally planned. It's either going to be really stupid or kind of fun. Regardless, Mike Mayhew's a total badass. It's going to look awesome. Joe Patrick, what are you excited for next week? My pick for next week is Forever Evil, number one from DC Comics by Jeff Johns and David Finch. Here's your solicit. The first universe-wide event of the New 52 begins as Forever Evil launches. The Justice League is dead. And the villains shall inherit the earth. An epic tale of the world's greatest supervillains starts here. I said it in my review of Justice League. I'm convinced. I'm excited for this event. Johns has revealed that the real story is not that the villains we know are taking over the earth. It's that the heroes are gone. The crime syndicate's trying to take over and the villains are the only ones left. To fight back. It's kind of fun. And I think that sounds awesome. That's kind of fun. It's a nice twist. And I am excited to read it. They've hooked me. The THN trade of the week is Nova, the Marvel Now Origin hardcover. That's a bad title. Yeah. Written by Jeff Loeb with art by Ed McGinnis. Here's your solicit. The new human rocket returns. Sam Alexander is a kid bound by the gravity of small town and a father whose ridiculous drunken fairy tales about a Nova Corps were just another heavy burden. 
But lucky for Sam, gravity soon won't even matter, and those trebles will be a billion miles away. It's a boy, a helmet, and an intergalactic legacy. As Sam trains with the Guardians of the Galaxy's Gamora and Rocket Raccoon, the helmet leads Nova into intergalactic conflict that will affect the entire Marvel Universe. Mysteries are revealed in this breathtaking new series by the best-selling, award-winning team of Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. We were both yeah. kind of fans of the new Nova. I like it a lot. I caught up on that as well. I love it. I, I, I know what you're saying. Jeff Loeb's let me down too many times. Look, this is great. I, I was right there with you guys screaming and yelling about how bad he sucked. This is great. I was pissed off that it wasn't Richard Ryder, but I love this new character. I love how they've kind of reinvented the Nova Corps. Just slightly. Little tweaks. Like, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Pick I this agree. up. Ooh, fun fact. Uh, Loeb and McGinnis only did this first arc. Uh, Zeb Wells is writing it now. And it's great. And uh, the last, the most recent issue had uh, an appearance by Speedball and Justice from the New Warriors. Oh, yeah. As they were looking for the new Nova. Yep. And... See where this is going. It, the, the little AR augmented reality tag on the page, if you scan it, <laughs> there's a picture of Speedball, and if you scan the AR code, it just brings up a thing that says, Coming soon! Oh, God. I'm so excited! Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to, so change your pants and tell us what comics you're excited for next week over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash two-headed nerd. Hey, give us a like one day. Yeah, please. Like, give me some likes. We like it. It makes us happy. Before we move on, the two-headed nerd is looking for brave advertisers and sponsors who aren't afraid to have their good image ruined by our filthy sophomoric poop humor. If you are interested in sponsoring this show, the answer of the week, or just advertising on our site, shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. It's time to step inside the comic studio. Once again, this week, Joe sat down with cartoonist Dave Kellett, the Eisner and Harvey Award-nominated creator of Sheldon and Drive, to talk for a while about his webcomics work and stripped his upcoming documentary film about the world of cartooning. Dave, welcome to the Ziggurat. That's what we call our little recording studio. We're really glad to have you here. I like that, the ziggurat. That's, boy, you don't hear that one every day. Uh, so, Dave, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into cartooning? Sure, yeah. Uh, so, I have wanted to be a cartoonist since I was in third grade and have pretty much had that as my goal for for decades now. And I, I did the standard sort of thing in the high school newspaper, the college newspaper. And then when I went to, to grad school in England, I was... Um, uh, trying very hard to get into the syndicate route, you know, syndicate being the traditional newspaper route. And this would have been in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing it, I decided to start fiddling with the internet. This is like 98, 99, and posting some of the strips online for friends and family back home to read. And um, so at the time, I think I the first one I ever encountered was uh, Bruno the Bandit, which is a strip I don't know if you had heard of or have ever seen here. I'm not familiar with that one. So it existed in 98, and it still exists now. And um, I decided to start putting them up online. And lo and behold, I went from, you know, 5, 10, 15 family members reading it to, you know, 50, 100, couple hundred readers uh, reading the strips. And um, so what happened is the um, it went from sort of a, a hobby to sort of a, hey, I can make beer and pizza money on this hobby in sure. terms of putting 
online. And then within four or five years, it started to become serious money. And so my goal switched from getting into a newspaper to basically replacing my um, professional income as a as a toy designer at Mattel Toys, and uh, so I was able to swap a roo in 2007, where I, I stepped away from Mattel and did Sheldon full time. Excellent. So you did Sheldon for a number of years before you launched your second web comic, uh, Drive, which is more of like a science fiction, still still comedy, but more of a sci fi bent than Sheldon. Um, oh. It's it's a very different kind of strip, yeah. Sure. Um, so Sheldon is more of a gag a day format, um, you know, the sort of traditional uh, character based, but mainly joke based um, newspaper format. And Drive is a longer form character arc sci fi story, a few hundred years in the future. So they're they're very different strips, but um, but yeah, Drive is my new baby. I love that strip, and and just want to I I want to do day if I could, but, uh, but not allowing it right now. Sure. I now I've been following your work for a while, and I remember seeing you talk about Drive in the in the lead up. How long had that story, that idea, been kicking around in your mind before you finally, uh, you know, did something with it and launched the site? Oh, it was um, it was probably kicking around in my in my noggin for two or three years. Um, and uh, I still it's, it's funny you should mention that because I moved house recently and found some of the early sketches of characters, which were very different. From a few years before the strip even started. And it was fun just to see that my brain was ruminating on it that far in advance. Um, and I think the story benefited from me not just jumping into it. I sort of let it percolate for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you have any particular endpoint in mind for Drive? Or is it, uh, you know, just something that you can keep doing and then maybe just switch to a different. You know, you're, it's, you might finish one story in that world and then shift over to another character story in that world and just keep it going indefinitely. I definitely have an endpoint in mind. Um, uh, and as I initially saw it, it was going to be about a seven-year arc, and I think we're probably about three years into it at this point. However, do you remember the Star Wars tales that they did a long time ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sort of explored a bunch of smaller stories. Right. I, I think I would actually like to do something similar and um, hire out, actually. I'd write the stories and then hire out different artists to do different styles, depending on whether it's humorous or serious stories. So I I think I will do that somewhere five years out. Now, artistically speaking, do you have uh, any particular influences on on your style? Like, who, who were you a fan of when you were kind of getting started? I was getting started. My, my big comic strip love was for uh, Bloom County. Yes. Uh, younger read uh garfield like i remember eight nine ten just loving garfield thinking that clean line style was fantastic when i was younger i loved garfield but when i really started to get savvy on on comic strips the the visuals of calvin and Hobbes and the writing of bloom county and then as i got older i really fell in love with a world war ii cartoonist named david lowe who's from britain fantastic line art if you ever get the chance to look it up it's l-o-w almost a japanese brush style it's fantastic and then pogo's art i found really rich and interesting although i never really caught on to the writing the, the artwork in pogo i found delightful and um and then i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say that my art style falls any of those more because it would be an insult to them but mine is uh i guess you would say a cartoonish clear line style but i don't i, I would leave it up to somebody else to say who's it like i i, I don't know because <laughs> i don't want to insult anybody else well speaking of kickstarter you successfully funded very successfully funded a documentary about cartoonists and cartooning that you're working on called stripped 
Sure. The documentary uh, is being co-directed by myself and my good friend. Uh, we've been working on it for about four years now, and uh, it basically sits down with, I won't say all, but some of the best cartoonists in the world uh, to talk about cartooning and why it works and, and why people love it so much and what's going to happen to it and what is happening to it as newspapers die and digital products you know, proliferate. And so we sat down with everybody from... Um, uh, uh, Bill Watterson gave us his first interview, which is great. Um, Jim Davis of Garfield, uh, Jeannie Schultz of Peanuts, Kathy Geiswood of Kathy, the Penny Arcade guys, Oatmeal, PVP, Questionable Content, and you know the list goes on and on. And so it's over 60, 70 cartoonists, something like that. And it makes for a really interesting conversation. Thankfully, the film is coming out uh, beautifully. It's, uh, I think it's going to be something that, uh, that cartoon fans will really enjoy watching. Now, Bill Watterson, he's not exactly known for coming out and giving interviews and uh and things like that was it a challenge to get him to speak for the film or he uh, you know i uh he's been extraordinarily kind um had to, to respond to us nor agree to do anything for the film and i think he saw that we were trying to do a film that was uh, a love letter and an exploration of comic strips in a serious way that's not you know bang zoom comics are for comics are for a question mark that kind of thing he was, he's been very kind with it and yeah this is his first uh, audio interview that he's ever given. so i i um i'm very thankful to him for that that's awesome when can we expect to see stripped well thankfully we're at the very end of the road we're of all things we're recording the director's commentary tomorrow at, at a studio in santa monica so that'll be fun the good news is the film creatively is essentially done um it's in the can the sound has been mixed um, we've we've edited it to uh, the nth degree, and so it's all ready to go. We're just waiting on uh, copyright clearances. Knock on wood, that'll come within the next few weeks, and uh, we can we can lock the film and have it have it out to the world. We have a few things uh, editorial wise. Once the film is locked, we have to color time the film and then um, master it for DVDs and for theatrical presentations. But um, that shouldn't take more than a month. So I think we're probably looking somewhere around a month and a half two and a half months out, uh, the film should be done and ready and out to the world. Excellent. Excellent. It's really exciting. I saw, uh, I, I saw the trailer already on the Kickstarter campaign. I saw a little bit more about it when we met at Comic-Con. It's looking really great. I can't wait to see it. Oh, it, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's probably, it's probably going to be one of the things I'm most proud of having done in life. It's, um, you know, it takes a long time to make a film. Four years is a very long time, but I'm, I'm really, really happy with the, the final product, and, and hopefully other folks are too. Well, Dave, before we let you go, uh, we are, we'll give everybody uh, your websites and everything where they can find your work uh, at the end of the interview, but is there anything else that you're working on that you want to plug? Any other projects? Oh boy, I uh, that's very kind of you. No, the the three main ones, just Sheldon Drive and and Stripped, um, uh, are the are are the only ones I'm working on now. There'll be more stuff once the film is done. I've got stuff that I've that's on the back burner, but um, I can't tackle it until that that big old project is done. So um, I can I can check back with you then when when the film is out in the world. Sounds good. We will definitely check back in in a couple months when uh, Stripped is out, and you can breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> and maybe take a look at your surroundings and uh on the couch weeks and just stare at the ceiling that's and, right uh, <laughs> we'll just let you sit around in sweatpants for a while and catch your breath thank you guys for having me on i appreciate it yeah dave thank you so much for being here uh again we 
loved having you. It was a pleasure, and I can't wait to see Stripped. Thanks well, for you- joining us here in the Ziggurat. You know what? It was a, it was a pleasure to sit down in your Mesopotamian pyramid with. Thank you so much. Please help yourself to some uh, wine and wenches. I mean, to, you know, <laughs> like what's ours is yours while you're here. Once again, huge thanks to Dave Kellett for taking the time to talk to us. You can find Dave on Twitter at Dave Kellett. You can find his web comics at SheldonComics.com. That's comics with an S. And DriveComic.com. That's comic with no S. And you can find out more about Stripped at strippedfilm.com sort of break it break it down like this kitties that is it for the total redesign episode of THN if you enjoy listening to two adult children being told to lose some damn weight and start dressing like adults you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher where you can give the show a star rating a written review or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners every time you work so hard to say potential it's clear that you're faking it now I love it I love it thanks to all of our past donors and if you'd like to help keep us in body waxes and form fitting pants you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Actually, now it's a metrosexual PayPal button. Yeah, metrosexual. It's really good looking. Button. You should see the eyebrows on that thing. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, THN Comic Cast, where I promise episodes are coming soon, our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd. That sounded like a question. <laughs> And our new direct phone number, 402-819-4894, where you can call us here at the Ziggurat and hit us with your Ask and Nerd questions or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading or answer the question of the week and ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to check out all of the new content from the THN Love Slaves at the Two-Headed Nerd including the return of the curse of the ghost of the tales of the TDW. Tony Dugright is back, folks. Where's he been? Who knows? I have no idea. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own, be sure to check out the Two Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you already subscribe to this show, you don't need to do nothing. Don't do nothing. It will just magically show up in your feed every time we put it out, usually on Wednesday. If you don't subscribe to this show, do. If you know someone that doesn't, grab them and make them. Next week. We don't care if you listen. You just download just it. Just download it. <laughs> Next week, we're playing Ask a Nerd. So email us your questions or Nerd Trivia Challenge with the subject line, Ask a Nerd, or call us with your question. At the aforementioned Ziggurat Direct Line, I'm going to say the phone number again because I want you jerks to call us. 402-819-4894 before we go. Our weekly shout-out goes to Jack, the King Kirby word to you, Jack, who would have celebrated his 96th birthday on August 28th. You are missed, sir. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a two-headed nerd. Welcome back, dummy. Thanks, dummy.